Mr. Luke Layton here in Texas. It looks like spring has sprung, at least down in South Texas. And, uh, but you know what? North Country, up in some of the northern plains and Montana and Mountain States, I understand they're getting a talk to a friend of mine. He said they had right at 20 feet of snow in that area where he lived, uh, not far out of him, somewhere there in Wyoming. I can't even remember the exact little town, but uh, I'm a little concerned about some of the wildlife up there down here. We're in pretty good shape, but 20 feet of snow is pretty darn deep when you get right down to it. Next, it covers a lot of food. Oh, yeah, and, ju- and just think about the, you know, like drifts. No telling, you know, up on the side of a slope of a mountain or something like that, there's no telling how much, how many feet of snow. Makes you wonder, like, you know, turkey, for instance. Uh, I know turkey feed on little buds, emerging buds, like maybe willows might be popping right. out somewhere up in that country. I don't know if they're, if they're budding yet, elm trees. Um, you know, maybe they can survive on that, but you just wonder how does a how does a deer? Of course, he's eating browse. The deer is, but nature's nature's got its way. But it's it's amazing how they can survive, uh, Larry. To me, it really does. It's I don't see how in the world, and you know that snow, and then think about the temperatures those critters and birds are are making it through. You know. You're exactly right. I, I used to take care of a ranch right up in the very northwest corner of Colorado. There, just above Dinosaur National Monument area. And I was up there one year to close the ranch down. <clears throat> this ranch we used to hunt, and got caught in a snowstorm to where we had like 14 to 16 feet of snow. And uh, we were staying in little cabins. We had like four or five different cabins right next to each other, and had a tunnel from one cabin to the next to. You know, get yeah. the kitchens and the bedrooms and that kind of thing. But uh, and thankfully, we had a pretty good supply of wood, so we stayed warm. But what was interesting about that is, with that deep snow, it covered up a lot of the. Of course, the ground was covered and deeply covered, and there were quite a few big evergreen trees in that area. And what happened was, is years later, or even after the snow finally melted down. You'd be driving along or looking at a tree, and there'd be this tree, and then there'd be all these branches, and then there'd be the, the trunk, and then there, and nothing there for a while, and then you'd find the very <laughs> top of the tree. And you could tell how deep that snow had been by that browse line, if you will, around that tree. But, you know, in, in all that, we lost a few animals, but it was amazing how Mother Nature, I guess, took care of things and, and uh most of those animals survive. Of course, a lot of those animals, too, when the snows start getting really deep, uh, they they migrate into different areas. And a lot of mm-hmm. the country, I think maybe the mule deer and elk, have kind of migrated down into some of the desert country and gotten out of the higher country. So hopefully they'll be good and, and it will have survived. The birds are a little bit differently, but, you know, there's all kinds of food available in those kind of situations if there is any kind of vegetation there. So hopefully they will have survived and we'll have a pretty good crop coming in this next year anyway yeah mother nature's got you know it takes it's uh, nature's amazing to me there's a, a ranch that we used to lease up until about six years ago actually the guys or some of the guys made a kind of a private uh elk and bear hunting place up north of steamboat springs but we outfitted for about i was actively with uh with my buddy up there for about for six or seven years you know and uh but we would during archery season we would be up there in, in early we'd, we'd start setting up our camp the last very last day or two of august and then by the third week in in uh september we were out of there uh now my buddy larry large he was raised up in idaho and he says luke 
we don't want any part of this country after about the middle of October. <laughs> you know? and, and I said, well, I've never, I've never been up here. He said, you don't want to be up here, and we're not going to be up here at that time. <laughs> we're not going to be up here. But the thing about it, uh, that area, I mean, this is northern Colorado, not far from the, the northern boundary line, you know, state line. Right. But uh, route, the Route National Forest, that's where the area yes, we're sir. talking about because it bounded one side of the ranch. <clears throat> but um, the rancher, he says, he told us, he said, all this you're looking at, he said, it's going to be under at least six or eight feet of snow uh, by December, mid-December every year. And sometimes they got a tr- even more than that. It's, you know, and I, I just, I've honestly never, I know you have, Larry, but I've never been in, I've hunted North Dakota a lot, and, and even up into, I've been up into, you know, Canada a great deal, but not in the dead of winter. I, I haven't. I've never experienced that, uh, That you know, trying to get around with even five feet of snow. It's just mind-boggling for me, you know. It is. I spent some time up in northern Alberta one time hunting uh, mule deer and, and uh, whitetail up there, more whitetail than anything else, and I can remember the temperature being like 22 below zero mm. there was about a 30 mile an hour wind blowing and that was cold <laughs> uh, honestly as much i've been in the outdoors you know all my life but i've so far at even this late stage of the game i've evaded that really cold cold temperature i've never been up north in the winter never have uh i guess the coldest honestly the coldest that i ever have been in was like a few degrees below zero and that's most of that you know maybe kansas or, or oklahoma something like that but yeah it's you have to dress for it i've got buddies uh brad uh brad finson a well-known outdoor writer friend of ours up in in uh, edmington and uh he sends me pictures you know and it's like oh man you know he he lives in that type of cold stuff every every year and hunts in it and you know <laughs> he's acclimated to it you know what? There is that. You're, you're exactly right. And that's the thing about a lot of the wildlife up there. They are acclimated for it. You know, there's a deal called the Bergman's Rule, which with mm-hmm. any, any species, the farther north you go in the northern hemisphere, the uh, the larger the bodies. And that all comes part of it, you know, is being able to make it through those really cold spells. And, and uh, it's interesting, as we mentioned, how Mother Nature is taking care of itself. And you know, we talked a little bit, I talked to mention the migration thing is one of the things like the Mule Deer Foundation and through the support of, of it and uh, other organizations like the DSC Foundation and a few others, a lot of that, the, the, the migration corridors, if you will, you know, they were cut by roads and fences and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing and uh, kind of prevented some of those animals from getting out of that bad country into the better country where they could go through the wintertime. But, a lot of those quarters have been reopened to where they're putting in underpasses under the roads where the wildlife can come and go and uh, are putting in overpasses. And they've really done a great job to, to help those animals to where they can get from those, oh, maybe summer, you know, early fall uh, habitat areas that they live in down to the to get away from that really cold winter. So my hat's off to those guys because they've done an absolutely great job. And because of that, they really saved the wildlife in a lot of those areas you bet you know <clears throat> you know you know me so well that I, you don't have to talk to me long and the subject of wild hogs may come up i just yeah <laughs> you, you know how i'm geared up larry but uh <laughs> talking about cold an interesting sideline to what we're talking about 
I've got some friends up there in Alberta. Well, uh, probably maybe two decades ago, they, the hog farmers, the price of pork was way high, but those right. hogs weren't doing real well on that 40 below zero in the winter. What they did, and I've done some research on this, they imported some European boar and they bred the right. sows, I guess just domestic sows, you know, to them to make a hardier hog, you know, a meat hog. Well, they did right. that. And then the price of pork bottomed out on them. I, and I don't know exactly when, but maybe a decade ago, the, the price of pork, it, it wasn't worth raising and feeding. They weren't making any money. So a lot of them broke it, you know, got loose. And, of course, they had that wild strain of hog in them then. And mm-hmm. long yes, hair, <clears throat> long hair, you know, and they were built for survival in Siberia. So, obviously, that boreal forest that runs along that parallel there, you know, uh, they they did quite well in Alberta, and uh, those things actually got out and and they learned how to uh, to get in. You know, cattails are prevalent wherever. I've never been to a place without a lot of cattails, really. But there's a lot of cattails. Yeah, where there's water and there's you know, I guess you know, the Sahara Desert maybe not too many cattails. But anyway, these hogs learned to tunnel through the snow and get up in these cattails and survive the winter. And, of course, cattails, they got a supply of, of root tubers, roots. I mean, all they got to do is just wander over and root up a, a, you know, a cattail, and they got their food. But anyway, there's a lot of them. And I, to my knowledge, you cannot hunt uh, hog, wild hogs in, in Alberta right now because they're trying to exterminate them. They don't want them to become a something people would would hunt. But I'll tell you what, I would love to hunt some of those hybrid you know, well, they're, I guess they're, they started out as, as half, you know, hybrids from the, the domestic stock and the European boar. But uh, I bet you those things would be something, but really, really uh, wary critters to hunt up there, you know? You know, they probably would be because we we're talking about how Mother Nature takes care of things. Look what Mother Nature has done with feral hogs or with yes. domestic hogs over a, oh, the southern, good gosh, well, when somebody asks me, it says, you know, where does the wild hog exist? I says, it exists where it does right now and where it's going to be exist in the next years kind of thing. They have learned to adapt so very, very much. And in some of that country up there, I'm not going to say anybody's names, but then uh, he was in on some of the early hunting on the hogs once they escaped. And he used to come to South Texas, and, and he always came and hunted hogs to get out of the wintertime, you know, yep. January, oh, yeah. February. And, uh, I called him one day, he didn't show up in uh, a couple of years back when we had the uh, Los Cogadores hunting headquarters there in Pearsall, Texas, and he always came by the store and visited, and I called him and said, what's the matter, are you sick, you know, you're not going to get them, can't come down, oh, he said, I, absolutely, he said, I'd love to come down, he said, I probably will, I said, you're not coming down hunting hogs right now, and he goes, well, no, he says, kind of hunting them in my backyard up there, so... <laughs> I knew that those hogs were doing pretty good up there when he didn't come down to hunt hogs in South Texas like he'd been doing. You bet, you bet, you Larry. And a little, another little sideline. I was in Hawaii a couple of summers ago, and uh, my daughter-in-law set up the uh, uh, luau type setup. You know, right. <laughs> well, we were uh, on a mountain above uh, Honolulu, looking down, uh, down. You could see the whole city down there at a, a luau. Well, it was a, I'll never forget this. And the old boy named was Dave. He, and it was a uh, macadamia nut plantation owned mm-hmm. by the state. It was. 
and he was the manager of it, and I think maybe part owner, I don't know. But he was a super good old boy from Hawaii. He was born and raised. They call him uh, Honolulu Dave, all about pineapples. and He's had his finger in a little bit of everything over there, uh-huh. selling pineapples. and But the place where he had there, that's there, above Honolulu, is where Elvis and all the big stars in the 50s and 60s would go there when they were filming the shows. That's where they stayed. So I got to talking. He said, you're from Texas, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. How did you figure that out? And I was, he was laughing with him, you know. And uh, anyway, got to be friends with him. And he said, let me show you something. And he went back, took me back off of a trail up on this mountain. Oh, it wasn't that far from the lot, the cat, you know, the place where they do the, the luau, maybe three or 400 yards in that macadamia, macadamia nut farm. He said, look at this. And I said, man, you've got hogs. He said, do we have hogs? They come in here when these nuts start falling. And he, he then he pulls out his iPhone. He's, you know, you know how we hunters are. Absolutely. He said, I got this one with a crossbow, you know. <laughs> uh, but hogs are, I don't know how we morphed into the topic of hogs, I guess because I'm talking with you. But they are, uh, they're, they're a nuisance, but uh, I'll be quite honest with you. They're one of my favorite animals to hunt and eat, and, you know, it's just, I'd hate to be without them, to be honest with you. You know what, I, I, I totally agree. It, 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 it's an interesting thing that we do come back to the hog thing, because yeah. for a lot of reasons, but the fact is, they can be hunted year-round, and, and we're cut in that stage right now, if you're not hunting predators, or you maybe you're coming to Texas or whatever to hunt exotics, such as a meal guy or or all dead, there's not really a whole lot of hunting going on right now. And so uh, their hog opportunities, <laughs> I know you and me and a whole lot of other folks are going to be looking for hogs. That's right. Larry, I know we're just about out of time, but in maybe in next week's show, you know this story, but about five nights ago I was in the middle of about an 80-acre plowed field 45 yards from what I honestly think would be close to a 300-pound boar. I've never seen one any bigger. They get bigger, of course, but I've never seen one bigger with an air rifle. <laughs> Let's talk about that next time. How about it? I think that's an excellent thing. We'll invite everybody to join us right back here next week.